Well, 2 Samuel chapter 9 this morning, 2 Samuel chapter 9, first seven verses. King David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness or mercy for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before King David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's in the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodibar. So King David had him brought from Lodibar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Amazing verse. Until you discover the grace of God, you will never discover the joy of living. There is no message in God's Word, none, that can heal you, refresh you, encourage you, and bring joy into a dumb, stale, stagnant life, like the message of God's amazing grace. God can move through grace mountains of guilt and shame. Grace can make your desert explode into fountains of living water. Grace can take you through the fire, and the fire won't burn you. Grace can allow you to walk through the water, and the water won't drown you. Grace is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God that you do nothing to achieve. Grace is an ocean without a shoreline whose depths have never been explored. They are boundless. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. God's grace will set you free from the tyranny of your past. Have you ever failed? Have you ever failed badly? Have you ever made a wrong choice that stained your life? Well, ask God's forgiveness and experience His amazing grace, and then get out and live, love, and get happy. God is a God of new beginnings. God will bury your sin in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered against you anymore. So get on with your life. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. God says, your sins and iniquity, I will remember no more. So if God has forgiven and forgotten your sin, why in the name of Caesar don't you forget it? Get over it. You won't need to stay in counseling. Enjoy the blessing of God in your life today. You're not, you know, you're not living until you discover God's amazing grace. Three ministers were arguing on when life begins. One said life begins at conception. The other guy said, no, life begins at birth. The other guy said, oh, no, life begins when the last kid leaves home and the dog dies. <laughs> life doesn't begin till you discover the amazing grace of God. You know, some of you in here are trying to reach the unreachable demands of other people, their intimidation, their manipulation, their domination of your life, which by definition is witchcraft. You take charge of your life or I guarantee you somebody else will. 
regardless of what you do, you're going to be blamed by somebody for doing something wrong. Kind of like the rookie playing center field in a minor league baseball game. He made two errors. The manager leaped out of the dugout and shouted at him, sit down, boy, I'm going to show you how to play center field. So the manager went out onto the playing field. The first hit was a high fly. He lost it in the sun. Every runner on base scored. Second ball came, a grounder between him and the right fielder. He ran over the fielder, crashed into him, injuring severely, who had to be taken out of the game, and he was their number one hitter. Well, the third pitch came. It was a line drive to center field. Hit him right between the eyes and knocked him out. Well, they carried him off the field in a stretcher. As he goes by the dugout, he looks in. He sees the rookie, and he says, Boy, you've got center field so screwed up, nobody can play it. You are going to be blamed by somebody someday for something. So just make up your mind to relax and enjoy your life. You know, some of you are prisoners of a performance trap. You're trying to earn other people's approval by what you do. You know, give it up. You're making other people your God. Here's what St. Paul said. He says in Galatians 1, verse 10, Am I seeking the favor of God or of man? Or am I striving to please men? If I'm trying to please men, I cannot be a bondservant to Jesus Christ. So, hey, you're either going to be a father pleaser or a people pleaser. But you can't please both. I urge you to try to please God and offend people if you have to. Or please people and be willing to offend God. Not a good choice. Grace will set you free to forgive other people. Grace will allow you to allow other people to be who they are, even if they're a little different than you. Even if they voted different than you. There was a preacher who wanted to know what his son was going to be when he grew up in the future. So he thought, how can I find out what my son might be? How can I get him to reflect to me what he's going to be? So the preacher went into his son's room and he put a Bible on his dresser. He put a silver dollar beside the Bible. He put a bottle of whiskey beside the silver dollar and a Playboy magazine next to the whiskey. He thought, well, when he comes into his room, if he picks up the Bible, I know he's going to be a preacher. If he picks up the dollar, I know he's going to be a banker. If he picks up the whiskey, I know he'll be a worthless drunk. If he picks up the Playboy, he'll be a womanizer. He heard his son coming down the hall, so he jumped in the closet and peeked out. The son comes in, he picks up the Bible, puts it under his arm. He takes the silver dollar, puts it in his pocket. He takes a shot from the bottle of whiskey. He opens the Playboy magazine, puts it in the Bible, and walks out. The preacher said, dear God, my boy's going to run for Congress. You know, God's grace is greater than all your sin. David committed murder and adultery. Moses committed murder. It's not where you've been that's important. It's where you're going that's important to God. John Newton was a debased slave trader of human lives. He went to Africa, bought slaves, put them in chains, brought them to America, and sold them. Many times they were killed, thrown overboard in chains. Horrible. He was inhuman. But John Newton received Christ, and he said, A great sinner met a great God with great grace. And John Newton wrote the song, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Newton discovered the grace of God, and he became a trophy of God's mercy. 
and many of you are as well. Grace is greater than legalism. Legalism is keeping man-made religious rules to obtain a right standing with God. You cannot live under grace and under law at the same time. You must choose. I think too often the church baits people with grace and then forces them to live under law. And we've lived under law so long when grace is preached it sounds like heresy. Any area of your life not under grace will be under law. And legalism is in fact a demonic theology. Why? Because it totally controls and condemns you. And worse, it obscures the work of the cross. It obscures what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for my sin. He was made guilty so I who am guilty could go free, guiltless. See, Paul said if you can be saved by what you do, then Jesus died in vain. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what Christ has done. It is amazing grace. And I pray that revelation will explode in your life. Because I know a lot of you come out of a church full of works. And that means you just live from week to week saved. Next week, you're not saved. This week, pretty good. Saved. Next week, not so good. That's just dumb. That's just bad theology. Jesus said, it is finished, done. There is nothing I can add to what he did, nothing. I didn't do anything to earn salvation. I can't do anything to lose salvation. Oh, I hear stuff that makes me sick. Now, let's finish by going to Mephibosheth. You like that name? Put that on your jersey, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is a picture of all of us. Let's go back 3,000 years in the Old Testament to Israel. King Saul and his son Jonathan have just been killed in battle. The news of their death reaches the capital city of Jerusalem, and it's a brutal time in history. It was customary that all members of a royal family be executed by the new king to prevent a legitimate heir from claiming the throne. When news of King Saul and his son Jonathan's death reaches the palace, the nurse, knowing that, rushes in to the nursery, grabs up Jonathan's baby boy, Mephibosheth. Running for their lives, she drops the baby, and he became permanently crippled in both his feet. His name? Mephibosheth. That'll make you want to have a name like Tom, Ed. <laughs> Mephibosheth is five years old, and for 20 years now, we hear nothing about him. He's been taken out of Jerusalem to a place called Lodibar. By definition, a place of no glory, no bread, a place that's barren. It's a place to hide in seclusion for fear of his life. So it's a horrible place. Years go by, and David in the palace is remembering his dearest covenant friend, Jonathan. And he asked a question to his astonished advisors. Verse 1, 2 Samuel 9. Is there anyone of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? What a majestic statement that is a picture, a shadow of God's amazing grace. Is there anyone, not somebody deserving, not somebody qualified, but is there anyone warm and breathing? That's the question the church ought to be asking. Hey, world, is there anyone? 
anyone whose life has been shattered, anyone whose dreams have been crushed? Is there anyone who looks into their future with a hopeless state of mind? Is there anybody down and out or up and out, the drug addict, the alcoholic, the prostitute, the AIDS victim, the poor, the rich, the sick? Is there anyone? God's amazing grace will give you a brand spanking new beginning. Abundant grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound has saved a wretch like all of us. Grace that's greater than all your sin. Grace that can make you sing in the darkest night because you are possessed with a hope that is steadfast and certain. Grace that can look at disaster and know everything's going to be all right because God holds you in his hand and no man can pluck you out of my hand, Jesus said. Well, 33 generations, 33 generations from our text. David's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, said to a sin-crippled world, hey, is there anyone? He said it this way, whosoever will, let him come and drink the waters of life freely. And he stands beside me this morning asking you, is there anyone? Anyone with a broken heart? Anyone whose life has been crushed? Anyone who's been forsaken, who feels lonely or rejected, maybe a family in crisis, a marriage that's dying, Jesus Christ and His amazing grace are here to heal you, restore you, save you, and give you a new beginning. Is there anyone of the house of Saul? Saul? Saul who tried to murder me, who cheated me, who hated me, Saul who chased me like a rat across the hills of Israel? forcing me to live in caves for 12 years? Is there anyone of the house of Saul? Wow, think about the grace in that. Jesus said, if you only love those who love you, the love of the Father does not dwell in you. Grace is loving the unlovable. And for some of you, people who voted different than you. Grace is showing mercy to the merciless. Grace is being good to the totally bad. Grace is forgiving the unforgivable. I wonder if that describes you or me, or can you only love those that love you, that see everything the way you do? Nobody cares what you know till they first know you care. The church in America, is, you can Google it, is divided into about 33,000 different denominations. Do you think for one minute Jesus set that up? I hope your IQ goes higher than a bean sprout to know that's not even possible. That's flesh arguing with flesh. 33,000 denominations fighting each other like junkyard dogs in a back alley. Where is the grace of God in that? Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. They that have not love have not God. Joseph goes out to help his brothers. His jealous brothers throw him in a pit. All 11 brothers hate his guts. Now, that's bad, but while he's in a pit, the brothers are considering murdering him. But one of them says, no, we don't get anything for that. Let's sell him. So they sell him into slavery. Then he sold a second time. You think you had a hard day. He sold a second time into the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar's hormone-driven wife, a desperate wife of Egyptian, the desperate wives of Egypt, I guess, she lusted after this boy, Joseph. 
he, he was a Brad Pitt of the Old Testament. A hunk, a hunk, a burning love. He was. And Joseph was falsely accused of sexual assault and sent to prison. And he was there for about 12 years. Now you think about that. That's long enough to get as bitter as salt water. Imagine, people, people occasionally through DNA testing have been in prison 20 years and are released because they have the wrong guy. How would you feel normal coming out of, of 12 to 20 years imprisonment for something you didn't do? Oh, we sit in church nice, we got our hair cofured. And you just read that. I'd be mad as a raging bull they're about to fix. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be upset. I'd be, some of you are slow, but that's okay. I know. When Joseph's brothers were forced to come to Egypt for food, they had to stand before him. They don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. Now, if Joseph were like many American Christians, he would have executed them on the spot, burned their bodies to ashes, scattered the ashes in the wind, singing victory in Jesus. But watch him. Joseph said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you've sold into Egypt. Do not be angry at yourself for selling me into slavery. You meant it for evil, but I know God meant it for good. Do you hear grace in that? Joseph wasn't even spirit-filled. He didn't even have a King James Bible. He didn't have a small group to attend for encouragement. Joseph was gracious because God was in him. David said, is there anybody of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness, mercy, for Jonathan's sake? You know, mercy to the family that tormented me. Mercy to the family that tried to kill me. The first outward expression of grace is always mercy. If you're not merciful, I doubt you've even met Jesus. Satan could care less how much you sing amazing grace as long as you sing it with a merciless heart. And Christianity without mercy is just another cult. It's a tree without fruit, a well without water, a cloud without rain. Mercy will always manifest itself. You can have lots of money like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett and not show it. You, you can have the intelligence of Einstein and not expose it. But if you have the mercy of God in your heart, you cannot hide it. When you see the needy or the hurt, you can no more shut up your heart of compassion and walk away than the sun at noon can stop shining. Mercy will always manifest itself. Now, can you see the type and shadow of mercy and grace in our story about Mephibosheth? Once Mephibosheth enjoyed the pleasures of the father, Jonathan, living in the splendor of the palace, just like Adam walked in the garden paradise and talked with God the Father. When Satan and sin entered the garden, man fell. He became crippled in the fall. We were separated from God. When King David asked, is there anyone? A palisade said, well, there's still a son of Jonathan living down in Lodibar, crippled in both feet. And maybe the aide said it like this, but come on, King, he doesn't belong here. He's not like the rest of us. He's a different nationality. He's a different race. And you know, sadly lurking in the shadows of many churches in America are the smug, arrogant, self-righteous grace killers who segregate God's children by saying, he or she doesn't really belong here. Why, they're a different skin color than us. 
Folks, we are not saving skin or race in this church. We're saving souls. This church of Jesus is a people's church. And if you can come in here wearing a $3,000 custom-made Armani suit, driving a $125,000 Tesla, and you sit down by a brother wearing nasty blue jeans, you treat him like a son of God. God loves him just as much as you. David says, is there anyone in the house of Saul that I might show him kindness? And Ziba says, well, there's a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled. Now, David didn't say, well, how crippled is he? How bad did he sin? Where he, he just said, where is he? He's in Lodibar, the place of no glory, dry and barren. And you know, some of you in here and watching live stream are living in a place of barrenness as well. Hopelessness, your marriage is dying, you got no joy, no peace, no direction for your life. Your finances are in shambles, you're shamed by addictive habits. Maybe you're angry over parental rejection or a spouse. Something in your life is driving you with a fierce anger and resentment. And the good news today is, just like King David went looking for Mephibosheth, King Jesus is looking for you. And he, like David, wants to restore you, your good name, restore the years the enemy has stolen from you. You know, he will cause Satan to restore sevenfold what's been taken from you. You will ultimately live with him in paradise instead of a barren land. He'll wipe away the tears from your eyes. He'll put a new song in your heart. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. In 1981, California police staged an intensive search for a stolen car and the driver. They even placed announcements on radio stations in an attempt to contact this thief. On the front seat of that stolen car was a box of crackers unknown to the thief that were laced with rat poisoning. The car owner had intended to use them as rat killer. But now the police and car owner were more interested in apprehending the thief to save his life than to recover the car. And like that thief, many people run from God thinking he's after them to punish them for the wrongs they've done. But God is after you so he can show you grace and kindness. His son Jesus bore the penalty of your sin. He just wants to get the word to you. Good news. So picture in your mind King David's royal guard riding up roaring dust in chariots. Can you imagine? And they pull up to Mephibosheth's run-down desert shack where he's been hiding 20 years. Why? He's afraid if he's discovered, he'll be killed on the spot. He's taken by the royal guard toward Jerusalem. He knows in just a few hours, I'm going to be a dead dog. Can you imagine the fear and terror going on in that chariot ride? He's escorted into the royal palace where he falls on his face before King David. And King David, our type of Jesus Christ, full of grace and mercy, said, Mephibosheth, get up. Fear not. Don't be afraid. I'm going to restore everything you lost in that fall. I will show you kindness, mercy for Jonathan, your father's sake. You'll eat at my table all the days of your life. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus said, fear not? Fear not death. I am the resurrection and the life. Spit in the face of it. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Fear not disease. I am the Lord that heals you. 
And folks, Jesus is still the great physician. He can still heal you, and he still does. Fear not the past. It is forgotten. It is forgiven. Fear not the prince of darkness. He's a defeated foe. Fear not wars and rumors of war. I am the prince of peace. Fear not your accusers, because I will shut their mouth and break their teeth with a rod of iron. Woo, I like that. I know who holds tomorrow, and I know everything's going to be all right. David said, I will restore all that you lost in the fall. At Calvary, my heavenly David restored all that Adam lost in the fall when Adam and his wife sinned. In the fall, in the Garden of Eden, you and I lost our relationship with God. That's where death began. Listen to Paul talk about it, Romans 5, verse 12. Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death by sin, so death came to all because all have sinned. But Jesus went to the cross and gave to anybody who would receive it everlasting life. He said, he that believes in me shall never die. So we regain at the cross what we lost in the garden. In the garden, I lost my health, but through the cross, I am healed by his stripes. I lost paradise in the garden, but at the cross, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. In the garden, I lost my fellowship with the Father, but Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I lost my inheritance in the garden, but Jesus said, I'll make you a joint heir with me. So Bethibosheth lived in Jerusalem and ate at the king's table continuously. Mephibosheth is eating at the king's right hand, undeserving, unmerited, absolutely loved. Mephibosheth woke up in Lodibar as an outcast, a nobody, in rags, in a shack. But tonight, he's eating in the palace. He's dressed in royal apparel. He is seated at the king's table. And just like Mephibosheth did, when I come to the Lord's table, I put my sin-stained life under the blood of the cross. And nobody can see the horror of your past. It's not what I've done in my past that matters. It's what God has done for me and going to do through me in the future that makes all the difference in the world. When you come to Jesus, you put your sin-stained life under the blood. It's been forgiven and forgotten. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions, and I will remember them no more. I want you to bow your head with me. Just bow your head for a second. Is there anyone here today who can say, Rick, I've been crippled in my past by bitterness, by loneliness, by betrayal, by sin? Maybe like Mephibosheth, Life has no direction for you. I tell you, Jesus Christ is here this morning. His hands extended towards you, saying, Is there anyone in Summit this morning? Let them come. I will show you kindness for Jesus' sake. Wow, that's an invitation you don't want to reject. If you've never receive Jesus. If you're not sure, if you're in a needy situation, I'd love to pray for you. Nobody will come to you. Nobody's going to embarrass you, but I'd like to pray for you. And if that's you this morning, 
Take just a moment and slip a hand up and then take it down. Let me know to pray with you. God bless you. Yeah, upstairs, downstairs. God bless you all around this room. I see scores of hands. God bless you. God bless you. Don't you forget the graciousness of God and get stuck in guilt, shame, and condemnation. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation to those in Christ because he's already been condemned for me. Yes, I deserve condemnation, but he took it for me. I've been pardoned. I have been justified just as if I had never sinned. That's how God sees you through Jesus. And if you capture that, the enemy can no longer beat you up, patronize you, make you feel insecure, inferior, and worthless. You can sit at the king's table dressed in robes of righteousness that he put on you and he took your robes of unrighteousness. I tell you what, that'll make an Episcopalian want to shout how good God is. Grace, grace, amazing grace. I'm going to pray and I want everybody that lifted a hand plus all the Summit family We're going to pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess you are the Son of God, my heavenly David. Thank you, you died for me. You paid my debt for all my sin, and you rose from the dead. You have defeated death, hell in the grave. You have the keys of life. Come into my heart as my Savior. Forgive my sin and give me your wonderful gift of eternal life. Thank you. I have a hope and a great future. I am not condemned. I am accepted in your family as a child of God. Help me discover your purpose for my life. And by your grace, help me fulfill it in my lifetime. Thank you, Jesus, for amazing grace. What a sweet sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen and amen. How about a big shout to Jesus? Thank you, Lord. We bless your great name. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.